Hey, you damn guys. Welcome to Book Club Member Comics. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Wes. Hey! It's Wes! Hey, Wes. Wes. Hey, Wes. Be- Wes, you're becoming a regular fixture on the old podcast yeah. here. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy awesome. Good. Yeah, good. it's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you so much for joining us again, this time to talk about Baltimore. But before we get into all that, this is our book club podcast, actual book club this week. Actual book club. We're reading books, we're reading comics, we're talking to our friends, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, Wes is going to tell you all about it. <laughs> no, John's going to tell you all about it. Oh, oh about time. Man. Um, <laughs> let me see. So this is our book club. We're... No, you're doing it wrong. Oh, no. Okay, so <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what to read, or Aubrey's going to tell you, and then you're going to read that. And then you're going to listen to us talk about it. We're going to read it too. And then after you listen to us talk about it, or concurrently as you're listening to us talk about it, you're going to jot down some thoughts or send us a, hey, you damn guys, that's our social media comment or whatever, an email. And then we're gonna list, we're gonna read what you said, and then we're gonna listen to us reading it, and then we're like gonna I, talk. About- <laughs> like I, you inevitably slipped into that cadence anyway. I can tell you are actively trying not to. It still happens. Uh, but all that process, there's friendship and a book club. Yes. Back yes. to you, me. Back to you, you. <laughs> I'm gonna do your job now. From now on, okay. give me the iPad. We have some shouts outs. Shouts outs. Yes. That's right. We got Woo-hoo. some shouts outs. I wanted to shout out Janelle Loveless. Janelle Loveless. Book club, Book club member. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. Um, and my sister-in-law. And Aubrey's <laughs> sister-in-law. You know, uh, on a previous episode on our, um, uh, one of our Scott Pilgrim episodes, we were talking about recipes and I said I was going to yes. share a recipe and then I didn't. I didn't put it in the show notes oh, like, you I, didn't. like I should have. Janelle was like, hey, what's up with that? It, How so, dare you? So I went back and I put it in there. Sorry about that. And I'll also put it in this one just in case. Oh, okay. You don't want to go all the way back to that episode. But I, if I ever say that I'm going to share something or do something and I don't, let me know that and then I'll do it. Yeah, I'll I, do it. You know, I usually make notes as I'm editing it. I need to put these links in there. But I guess sometimes I, I miss one. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So thank you for catching that, Janelle. I really appreciate it and continue to let me know if I uh, don't share a link or um, something that I'm supposed to. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now we're going to go on to a different section. It's called listener feedback. Listener, listener. feedback. <laughs> Great job, you guys. I feel like we gotta- <laughs> I like jumped in early with you, Aubrey, because that's what I do in my job. car when I'm... <laughs> nice. <laughs> you read a story... We talk about it. You hate them guys us. And it's a book club. Get out, trades and flop. We got a hey damn guys from Kelly Kaysen. Kelly Kaysen. Book club member. Yes. That's right. Kelly Kaysen says, Thank you for shining some light on the extra pages lying around and using those for art. Well, we talked about uh, Mike Mignola. Oh, some yeah. of those early Hellboy pages in the Artist Edition are on Marvel boards, Marvel stock or uh, whatever. They have the yeah. Marvel logo in the corner. And so that's what he's referring to. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> we were saying he probably just for had sure. it lying around. It's great. That's why it says Marvel. Callie goes on to say. But, but, no, but hold on. Okay. See, now I'm doing what you do. I'm interrupting. Yo, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I think... Uh, wouldn't it be cool to have one of those? Yeah. A oh, Hellboy yeah. so page cool. that says Marvel in yeah. the corner. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, sure. ah, who owns that? I bet you that's part of Mignola's personal collection, right? Right. I don't, or I don't yeah, know, there's, no, there's, anyway, there's no telling. Anyway, gosh, that it would be. It belongs in a museum. It really does. <laughs> but that's like one of those just weird things that it's like, they don't go together and 
this one it's great though just this one thing has it you know what i mean i don't know anyway well, that's no great. actually it's funny it's like right after we talked about that like i saw online somebody drew a page of something i can't remember what it was it was either image comic or dark Horse oh comic, i see okay but it was on dc stuff <laughs> nice, nice nice yeah I guess they just, yeah. Well, I mean, why would you throw it away? I mean, yeah, if you got, it, like, if you got like tons of it sitting in your yeah. house. <laughs> Might as well just use it. So Kelly goes on to say, your recent Scott Pilgrim episodes have given me a desire to obtain the Scott Pilgrim series. I have, that's for you, Aubrey. Awesome. I have not done so yet, but I have picked up the video game for my Switch. Nice. I got it. I got that one as well. Right I on. also got it. Okay. I also have that game. We should all get on Excellent. there and play together. It's a really you hard game. You can do that, Kelly, if you'd like to do that. terribly hard. <laughs> Callie says, your show is the reason that I guess because they got the game for the Switch. Oh. I've also been reading through the Baltimore comic series and I really enjoy it. Are the novels as good? Question mark. I guess you're about to find out. <laughs> when I, find when I read out. novelizations, I tend to wish I was reading it in comic form, but it sounds like they're pretty close. Lastly, I'm enjoying the Norm Brayfogle episode. Norm's Brayfogles. Yeah. My buddies and I did a podcast for about eight years, and Norm was a creator we interviewed. Oh, what? oh great. Wow. Awesome. Wow. Please share that. Please, Please share, share that, that with us. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a shouts out. So you yes. can be in uh, both sections of that the show, the shouts outs and the feedback. He was a delight to talk to, and we felt really lucky to have some one-on-one time with him. Wow. wow. Very nice. So cool. That is yeah, that's super awesome. awesome. It's nice to hear that he was really cool, too, that yeah. he was a nice guy. That's so. great. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, please share that link. That's great. I'm so glad you're enjoying the Baltimore comics. So the novel, there's only one novel, and we're going through it chapter by chapter, but it's completely different. So that's what's good yeah. about it is there's some overlap, and we've had a lot of fun on this on the show, like finding those overlap mm. parts and going, ah, here's that scene, but in the comic. But a lot of the book is a totally different thing. Okay. Yeah. And it's fucking good. So, yeah. Um, so it's just one book, and I read it in one day. So, I mean, you could totally just tear through it. It's definitely worth it if you like the comics. It adds a lot more insight to the characters. Excellent. So. Yeah, yeah, and the, like the audiobook's not bad either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The audiobook's really good. It's incredible. I'm really enjoying it, especially on this chapter. The guy does, like, some different voices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has voices for some of the different characters, and they're good. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The way that he's able to move his voice around or switch it back and forth is pretty remarkable. Very anyway, good. I wish I knew his name. I'll look that up. You gotta look that up. I'll look that up in the time it takes to get to the Aubrey's book club. gonna look it okay, up. Okay, Aubrey's already looking it. Now it's time to move on to our next section of the show. What do you see? What do you say? That's right. It's called <laughs> What Do You See? What do you say? What do you see? What do you say, John? Oh, um, I watched uh I watched Licorice Pizza okay. by Paul Thomas Anderson. Right it's on. one of those movies. I liked it. Uh I, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. Um even if you because there's some controversy about this movie. Oh, is there? There's a little bit of controversy mm. about it. Um, because the story revolves an evolving relationship that eventually turns romantic. And it's like 10 years apart in age of like basically a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. So that's kind of yeah. like... It also takes place in like the 70s. Right. I don't know if that's like a thing. You know what I mean? And they acknowledge it in the movie. There's, well, yeah, a, there's yeah. a part where she's like tells somebody else. She was like, is it weird that I'm hanging out with... Isn't it weird that I'm hanging out with this 15-year-old? Right. So I think that that might turn a lot of people off from seeing it. Well, but also media, like sometimes movies and books and stuff like that, creative endeavors are supposed to challenge the viewer or the reader right. to kind of think about this context that might make them uncomfortable. Sometimes art makes you uncomfortable. Well, and it's, it's not exactly as if they're like 
pro growth stuff, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of movies that are like, yeah, that's the point. You're supposed to be like, what's yeah. wrong with this situation? Well, you know, like I and, don't know. And and that's part of it too. I haven't it, seen it. It so. takes place I don't know. historically. Sure. So it's kind of like that was how it was, I guess. Things then, things like that did happen. Things like that did happen. And they're saying Here's this the, is a thing that happened. Here's a picture okay. of that. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah. but uh but outside of that whole movie, yeah. if, if you're if you're on the fence of seeing it, there is a part where Bradley Cooper comes on and he plays John Peters. I don't think it's a spoiler, <laughs> and it is totally watching the movie just for that scene. It's in the middle of the movie. It's just out of nowhere, and he comes on, that. and it is so good, That's and it's great. funny, and it's just like um apparently john peters was in on it like they talked to him about it or whatever that's fantastic you know, awesome. and stuff like that and so anyway that sounds excellent it's, it's worth it just for just i would for love to scene. look at just that that's just great for that scene is really good but. but yeah like uh i that sounds super fun but i think that you know people kind of get con- things confused they mix up like Oh, you watched a movie where that happened. That must mean that you're pro right, that right. happening. Yeah. No, I mean, no, that's not how that works at all. No, you, yeah. you know, sometimes you watch things that do make you feel uncomfortable, but maybe sometimes that is the point to you end up thinking about it and having a dialogue with yourself or other people. And it starts a conversation and it makes you, it makes you think. And I don't know, maybe that's the point of some of those movies to do. Yeah. That. Yeah. So that's hard. I don't know. I'm not an expert on any of that, well, but I just, I feel like sometimes people get that confused. Like they're like, like it's, it's like watching American psycho yeah. and being like, Oh, what? So you agree that men should be murdering women? No, that's not the point of that movie right, yeah. at all. If you idolized him, you missed the point. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny. I've been watching a lot of Pawn Stars. That's my go-to show when I just want to have something on or just was something in the background or whatever. There was an episode recently where someone brought in like the first edition of Lolita. Right. And he had to keep making a point of going, I'm not like, I don't agree with this book, but I want to buy it because it's a first edition. And he kept sure. like, and he kept yeah. hammering it home. Right. Like, he had to keep. He felt obligated to keep saying it like Right. Well you have to because yeah. people are fucking stupid. Right. You and know they'll be I mean? like, Oh, you and bought a copy like, of Lolita to sell from yeah. your store. Does that mean that you're a exactly. pedophile? No. And he's what? like he's you can like, engage a, with these topics. He's like, this without... is a classic book. This yeah. is a first edition of it and it's worth money and right. I want it for my story. You know, and he had to keep like hammering that home because yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. But that's a yeah, I can understand how that would be a a difficult situation if you are a proprietor of whatever rare books and stuff i don't really know what i would do in a situation right, like right. that i guess it, you have to like draw the line somewhere yeah but uh yeah i don't know i think that when engaging with media that makes you feel uncomfortable i think you have to wonder why is this making you uncomfortable am i reading something that is pro this awful thing propaganda right. or is author engaging with this in a different way that yeah. you know is supposed to be not that so i think that that is important in context doesn't yeah. matter so i don't know i haven't seen the movie that you're talking about so i'm not sure what the context is or anything like that but i think that i know you well enough that you yeah. probably would not be watching a movie that was gross right no on well, purpose I, mean, yeah. I just yeah. uh, i mean i enjoyed it yeah. I, I wouldn't say like it was the best movie ever but sure. You know, I obviously didn't turn it off, right. you know, and I, it was free. So, you know, anyway, we've been watching poker face still. Yeah. I very much enjoy that continues show. Continues to be great. Love it. it continues to be great. Yeah. We went out of town this uh, past weekend okay. and we listened to this audio book elevation written by Stephen King, oh. read by Stephen King. Hmm. Oh, and it was only like three hours long, but it's about a guy who is losing weight. It's not thinner. <laughs> 
he doesn't know why, but like he's like a 250 pound man and he le- he's like keeps losing. He's like 200 pounds, 150 pounds, but he still looks like a 250 pound man. Oh, mm. weird. I don't yeah. Know. And then it ends interesting. And then there was like a bonus book about a guy getting a dog. Okay. <laughs> All right. It was weird. Uh, but then also I uh, started watching, but I haven't finished it yet. Uh, weird. The Al Yankovic story. Oh, I, I, haven't seen that. That. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Oh, my God. If you like Weird Al, do yourself a favor and find this movie. It I is do hilarious. love Weird Al, yeah. Because you know how Weird Al does parodies of everything? So this biography movie is a parody of biography okay. movies. Okay, okay. It's not it's even awesome. like his actual, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like his 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 dad is all mad. He goes, I don't want the devil squeeze box in my house, boy. <laughs> Referring to his accordion and his friends sneaking to a polka party. He goes, you didn't tell me this was a polka party. <laughs> okay, so the whole thing is... <laughs> a is, parody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Weird Al style. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe is playing a really cut Weird Al. Nice. Okay. I, I like that Daniel Ratcliffe is like, fuck it. I made my money. I'm just going to well, play weird shit for the rest of my life. I love that. It's like a that. parody of it. So he's going to get someone that's handsome and buff, you know, yeah. to play him, you know, and that's great. I love that. And, oh, and yeah. also very odd. I feel like he just likes to do odd things. He does some weird movies. Which is great. Yeah. I think you know, that's fantastic. Because um, yeah. he can. You're, you're making me go on a tangent here, but I, I watched this really weird movie that he was in called Horns. I love Yeah, Horns. I like that movie. Yeah, I yeah, thought that, that was fun. W- that movie was really weird. It okay. was it was cool though. I mean, I en- I definitely enjoyed it, but uh It was uh based on a book by Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's son. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting link there. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's super that's a super weird one. That was fun. I what, like that one a lot. I mean, I said it on the other pod. I'm I'm working my way through The Human Target. Oh, right. Yeah. Nice. So, but I I just watched the I watched Creed 1 and Creed 2 cuz Creed 3 came out. So, I was like, oh, I'll watch those two and see what's up." Nice. I like the first Creed movie. I haven't seen the second one or the third one yet. I haven't seen yeah. any of them. I need to watch these. I hear they're good, right? I mean, yeah. I like Michael B. Jordan. I mean, if you like the Rocky movies, see, I'm yeah. not really a big never fan seen of any of yeah, the Rocky. I don't know. Movies. If I, I don't. I don't know them other than like the parody or whatever. <laughs> like, I know like Burgess Meredith is <laughs> the is in there. <laughs> the Penguin. <laughs> no, uh, first two Rocky movies are actually pretty good because it's like you know this guy from the streets, blah 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 kind of story. But when he gets into like the the third and especially the fourth one is all pro America and all that, oh, it just okay. starts becomes kind of like a parody of its own self. Mm. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, creepy's fine. But yeah, I, re- I really I'm really liking the Human Target skid. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Very I recommended good. some Michael Crichton books to my grandma, to my mama, nice. my grandmother. So I don't know. If she's gonna read those or not, but if she does, I'll let you know what she says. What did, did um did you get them for her? Or did you just recommend them? No, she doesn't like reading books. She likes reading on the Kindle. So I got her like a Kindle gift card oh, nice. or whatever okay, that is. So I'll let you guys know. Okay, what happens yeah, let that. us know. I read some comics. What'd you read? I read Leonide the Vampire. That was excellent, and oh, I yeah. very much enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved the art. I loved the story. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was, was not like, what I was expecting. I didn't excellent. really have an expectation, but it was totally like, I, I, really I didn't know what it. I was expecting. It would have never, ever guessed it was going to go. I need to read that. I really dug it. Uh, Rachel Aragnu and Mike Mignola. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are two issues out. It's not collected. So if you want to check it out, you'd have to buy it on Comixology or track down those two issues. But track uh, them down. it's definitely worth it. Um, you could get both issues from Comixology for four bucks. Mm. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I would definitely check those out. Highly recommended. That's very good. Did you what did you buy them on the black market? Like what happened? What? The issues. Well, I just got them at Bedrock City. I'm whispering. 
my local comic book store. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> the black market of Bedrock City. <laughs> Stop whispering. It's not good for editing. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to move on to our book club episode of the week. And oh no, I grabbed a dandelion seed and I'm floating away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. So we mentioned this earlier. The audiobook was read by Unlock Phone. <laughs> yeah i know i pulled it up too and then we were talking about other stuff uh the audiobook was narrated by colin mace oh nice yeah, he kills yes. it he's good yeah he, he's really good there's a couple characters there's one character in, in particular hoskins that he does like a really good job with i was like wow that's some voice acting right there yeah, he's like popeye <laughs> right? it's like popeye yeah mm-hmm. maybe not popeye but i don't know that's what i thought well of. the the, the the way that he goes back and forth between Childress and Hoskins, just him going back and forth between those two characters is really, really good. I quite enjoyed that. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Take it away, Wes. Taking it away. All right. This week, we're continuing our discussion of the Baltimore novel. Just like uh, we said earlier, we're reading The Soldier's Tale, Agnes Day, which I guess means Lamb of God, which kind of oh, makes nice. sense. Right? Yeah. Oh, good job. Oh, cool. Very good. Very good band. I'm just going to keep doing morning graphic content, right? It makes sense to do it. There's sure, some yeah. graphic stuff. It's not as bad in this one. I don't think this one's as bad, but I guess it is in the end. If you if well, you don't I mean, like a dog gets drownings. Killed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's animals, a dog that gets killed. Get, yeah. yeah. Off yeah. panel. <laughs> they just mentioned it. Right. <laughs> this book was published in 2007 by Bantam, written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden. Illustrations by Mike Mignola. Uh, where we left off, we just heard Ice Cross's story. And uh, the reason why he found himself on the beck and call of Lord Baltimore. It was giant puppets. (laughs) Yeah, it was giant puppets, which now like all the puppet stuff. And now, you know, Mignola's coming out with a uh, Kickstarter for the Pinocchio book. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, We didn't mention that. Good job there, Wes. Yeah. That Kickstarter is still going on. It made its goal in an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no surprise. Pretty incredible. Yeah. 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 You know, um, a lot of people were upset because the, remember I was telling Danielle there might be limited rewards. Mm-hmm. Well, there were, and they were gone like immediately, and people were kind of upset about it. So they actually said that they may do some more rewards, oh, like some some other tiers or whatever. So oh, that's yeah. So keep your eye on that. You know, I mean, they, they might do some other things like for everyone that missed out on those signed. I couldn't afford those editions. I went for yeah. the standard edition. Even even that is pretty pricey. Yeah. But for the people that wanted, you know, the the more expensive stuff and missed out on it, I think they might do some more. So definitely keep your eye out on that Kickstarter. Yeah, that's super cool. Keeps coming back. Keeps coming back in there. But yeah, so we we learned about Ice Cross's adventures with Lord Baltimore, where they became best friends and bros. Brubs. And uh, <laughs> some brubs. <laughs> so we learned of like Baltimore's health declining and how he left and then came back to find his house in disarray and stuff like that. And how like he met some monk that was like, you're he's on a mission from God. And so are you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to find out what it is. And he's like, what? So, <laughs> and that's where we left off. And then we're going on to the next story, the soldier's tale. All right. Just like all the other sections, we start off with a uh, quote from Hans Christian Anderson. Uh, then he thought of the pretty little dancer whom he was never to see again. And his refrain rang in his ears onward onward soldier for death thou cast not shun steadfast and soldier by hans christian anderson it's pretty bleak yeah so sad the story is the story is sad i told you guys yeah. I know the story yeah. Yeah, the story the story is super sad <laughs> you're like oh <laughs> just keeps getting worse and worse 
So we pick up Ashros finishes story in the pub and sort of the, the guys all kind of fall silent. Dusk is starting to turn into night outside. So now blues are starting to come in, um, which I guess is sort of pretty. Christopher Golden sort of tells us that it's, it's kind of pretty outside. Right. Childress loses himself as he kind of stares out the window with what's going on outside. And it sort of said whether it was Henry Baltimore's intent or not, the three of them were there to discuss evil and Ice Cross's tail left something untethered in the other men. All of a sudden, dinner comes out and is served to them. The servant girl brought out two small roasted birds with potatoes and mushrooms and a gravy that's the color of rust for Dr. Rose and Ice Crust. <laughs> Yum. And then Childress got a stew, which is kind of funny. Like, I didn't think about it earlier, but he got the stew, but he was saying, like, anything can be in the pie, right? He didn't want to get the... Right. Yeah, no shit, right? right? Anything could be in there, and then he got the stew, which is totally the same argument can be made. <laughs> it just doesn't have the crust on the outside. At right, least with exactly. the pie, you could you could eat the crust. That's not going to yep. have anything weird in it, hopefully. So anyway, it's a good yep. point. <laughs> so he gets his stew, which is apparently the same color as the rust-colored gravy that's on top of theirs, and he sort of has the thought that. Even though I ordered something different, I probably got the exact same thing yeah. just in a different form. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Oh. Yeah. The men start on their meal, and Dr. Rose says to Child Dress, I believe you had a story for us as well. And I gather you've encountered Henry more recently than either Demetrius or I. Childress starts that he knew Baltimore as a young boy and makes a joke that he was the Alpha and the Omega. I guess of the storytellers because he saw him first and saw him last, and that right, joke doesn't right. really go over. It's sort of crickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he describes what the being just disappointed in the soup as it having no flavor, oh, weirdly yeah. enough, that same day I was listening to this, somebody at work goes, "Here, Aubrey, come here and try this soup," and uh, I was just like, "It's like this chicken bro- bone broth curry type soup and i was just like okay it's gonna be spicy like a curry or yeah something. yeah i take it and i go this is the most bland soup i ever had yeah. in my life <laughs> so weird. i wonder what You're... cancel out the curry it was like it was prepared in a room that had curry in it at one time <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a coincidence all right so the next time childress encounters baltimore was perhaps a year and a half after the death of his poor wife he says Childress left the battlefield at this point so he just walked off the battlefield uh, the war wasn't over, but people were leaving the battlefield and perhaps he could have been shot as a deserter, but many were leaving at the same time and nobody cared. Right. Um, yeah. Many left with, to be with family and the plague didn't discriminate between ally and enemy. He talks about trudging along a hard packed path with his duffel bag on his shoulder and seemed like the world was sort of whimpering to an end. He describes it because like fields are on like they're not being tended to. And houses are sort of falling apart and he walks through like battlefields, right? And there's there's all this battle damage, but nobody's there. And even like things have been abandoned and are falling to pieces like trucks and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. On his trek home, leaving battle, winter has begun. He seemed okay during the day because the sun would be out. But at night, it's it would creep into his bones. At one point, Childress had stolen a truck, which was then commandeered by a sergeant who decided to take his platoon home instead of listening to his orders, which it also sounds like they said commandeered, but it also sounded like Childress was like, yeah, take the truck over it. Like, yeah, hey, he's all like, he, he wishes him luck and just starts walking. So, so he, he goes on traveling through these different derelict scenes, but he walks up to a tank in his travels and was, wasn't able to take his attention off of it. And I was wondering, like, I wonder if this is the tank from um, the tank, the issue, the tank. Yeah. I was thinking that too. 
Yeah, right. It could is, be. I was actually I was actually looking for that right now. I was also thinking like even if it's not, I wonder if this was just the thoughts that Christopher Golden and Mike Mignola went through thinking about what could be in that tank. Then they came up with a story later and just did it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, they likes. do they do definitely plant that seed here. I really like. Yeah. That. I th- I thought I put what episode we did that on, but I guess not. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. Childress had the idea that the tank was sleeping. He talks about how if the day was later, he would have used it as a shelter to escape the unnatural things in the night. Um, But thinking of that, he also thought, well, maybe there's something in there that's escaping the natural things in the day or the sun. So at this point, he has to know that like there's vampires or there's creatures of the night going on. Right. Yeah, you he know, definitely knows there's something. Yeah. Yeah, he knows there's something. Okay, so wasn't it like a soldier did take a refuge in the tank, in the tank story? <laughs> yeah, in the tank story, it's a yeah, a soldier's in the tank, and yeah. then there's like all these little demon monsters around the tank, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's a but it's a vampire. Um, the oh yeah, it's a vampire, a vampire soldier. And so yeah, at one right. point he's like, "Come on, come in here," and you know, and Baltimore's like, "Fuck you," or whatever. And he's so, like, I'll come in there and kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but isn't he even the isn't the vampire even like, dude? You can come in here. I'm not going to do anything. Like, just just come in. I don't exactly. Know, I, I, yeah. I'll have to read yeah. it again. Yeah, because no. there were like monsters coming out of the yes, water. Yes, there were monsters coming out from outside of the tank, and so yeah, the vampire is trying to lure Baltimore in there. Um, but anyway, it and that takes place in France. Does it say where he is here? He's in France. He's he's trying to get to the champ. Oh uh, uh, wow! So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. So. Baltimore may have taken care of that situation. He d- he definitely did. He definitely yeah. did. They're definitely coming back around and tying that up. That's amazing. And then so it also explains that Childress was right to get out of there before night because those little monsters would have come up and gotten him. Yeah. 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 And everything was abandoned. Like, why was everything abandoned? So his his gut feeling was based off of, you know, information right. that he was receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's page 267 in the first omnibus. And then I'll link the episode in the show notes. Yeah. So having all these thoughts, uh, Childress didn't want to stick around. So he he continues on, but keeps the tank within sight. He sort of like is keeping yeah. an eye on the tank or like. In he his, says it feels his... he feels like it's watching him or like it's a sentry mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. You know, like at any point it could just start moving. That's really cool. And there's some great yeah. illustrations also. Yeah. And he talks about some more scenes that he walks through, like a plane that was that had crashed out of the sky and the wing was torn off like a giant had ripped it uh, oh, from right. the wing. He sort of describes these yeah. things. And I was also thinking, I wonder if that's a re- reference to anything. But I know like Baltimore crashed a plane on a beach, which he's not. I mean, he's close to the beach. I guess he's, but yeah, not the same plane. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. And then at one point, he walked through a field filled with gray grave markers, where one of them had looked like something had come out of the ground. Come yeah, from the yeah, right. Yeah, so definitely like vampires or whatever. Yeah, he definitely knows the dead are coming back to life, or at least the plague is up to no good. He was on the road and he knew it would lead him through the next town. Once upon a time, he would have stopped right in the town for the night and probably gotten food and had a nice night's sleep. But he thought being a soldier who was ditching and not being from where he was, that it wouldn't go over well. So he decides to avoid the town. That right. and, you know, they're hungry or whatever, whatever their thoughts are. It's probably best that he just avoids people in general. His plan is to follow the river to the coast where there would be a port and he could find a boat back to England. All the decisions that he makes are like really smart. Like he, like it really yeah. is. A, if he would have stopped in that town or whatever, he definitely would have um, gotten like read, a plague read, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Reading this sort of makes me feel like 
Like he's definitely like going by his gut, but even like later in the later story, when you find out what his dad does, I'm sort of like, he's kind of like Indiana Jones. Kind of, oh, nice. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. You're right. He is kind of like Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, he's the Baltimore Indiana Jones. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> in his journey through his plan, he passes a few settlements that sort of creep him out. Finally sees signs of the port city with chimneys and smoke coming and he can smell the smoke, which is a good sign because it's a sign of life. He reaches the city right as dusk is coming in and from the shadows he could see, I don't know, he can't figure out like eyes or he can tell he's being watched and there's movements in there. So he takes his pistol and he moves it to the front of his trousers. So that's the first thing that people will see and notice about right, him. Right, yeah. I'm packing heat. Yep. Childress is packing heat. It's a total indie, indie moment, too. And the guy yeah. whips out the whip mm-hmm. and he just shoots him. <laughs> Childress comes upon a neighborhood with a bunch of ragged people, but they're vibrant and alive, singing, dancing, and playing music. He starts joining in the activity, starts having a good time with them, like, you know, smiling at people, singing, dancing, having a good time. Give me some of that vodka. <laughs> yeah, he takes some of the vodka, takes a sip. Girl rubs up on him. And he says, like, yeah, not, sorry, not that, but, you know, thanks. <laughs> One of the guys who gets the vodka from, right? It's the guy who gets the vodka from. He asks, what are we celebrating? And the guy says, the end of the world. Childress would not accept that. He, he goes on to say, he's like, I don't accept that it's the end of the world. He has faith that society will rise again from this trial. Right. Childress asked the man if he knew anyone with a boat that could get him across the channel to England. The man grabs him and pulls him through the crowd, which sort of makes him feel uncomfortable. He like goes and grabs his pistol, right? And as he pulls him through the crowd, he calls out for Duvik and, and sort of brings Duvik into the conversation that this guy's looking for a ride. And Duvik agrees to take him as long as he can pay. Childress assures him that he can. Childress asks when they would be able to get on his boat and head towards England. And the man looks uh, longingly at the woman that's in his arms and gives her this long, deep kiss, right? He's like groping all over this chick. <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. And he's like, and then Childress is like, uh, when can we go? And he's like, he looks at her and he's like, well, I guess we could go now. But he thinks about it. He's like, ah, I'm about to, I'm about to get yeah. some. Yeah, he like looks at the, he looks at this lady that he's with. But it's even like, if you pay me enough, I'll, I'll take it right now. You know? Yeah. So. so is it a is it a coincidence that this guy is the same name as Lord Duvik? Is it is it Duvik also the guy from the comic, the enemy? Yeah, it is. But I think it's a coincidence because I don't yeah. think Lord Duvik would be doing this stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's I mean, totally he's the opposite not of touching this. It. Yeah, really. Yeah, All he's, he's not doing is whipping women. himself. He's women. <laughs> yeah, or he's beating himself. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> yep. So so apparently Childress agrees to the terms of paying him more, and they walk towards Duvik's boat, which is a, sort of like an eerie, creepy walk Childress gets nervous about it he's like is this safe is it safe to walk to the to the docks Duvik assures him again he starts seeing shifting things in the shadows on their walk towards the docks and they walk up to a bridge and a barge comes through covered in shadows right underneath the bridge so we've seen this scene before right yes this is so creepy because I thought more of this scene too when Ice Cross talks about it and then they like Childress makes it seem like it's more than what Ice Cross saw. And I also felt, and maybe it's because I read the book, that I was just like, I don't know, isn't that figure on top of that mound of bodies is weird, right? Yeah, it definitely is. And they make a point of it when, and I was like, where did we see that before? But it was in the book. It was in an earlier chapter of the book, right? Yeah, it's in the first. It's not, it's, first... It's not from the comic, though, right? I don't think that's. I don't think so. Thing. I don't think we saw it in the comic. I think it's in the first. Well, we do. I think we do see the barge in the comic. It's just not. Maybe it's out Baltimore like seeing it. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, but it's definitely. Yeah, and he and he makes it a point of saying he saw me. 
like the bar yeah. like the guy at the top of the piles of bodies like looked at him and ice cross thought the same thing i saw yeah exactly yeah. So he describes the the mound of bodies and there's a guy up there who looks very skeletal and watches him and his cloak is blown in the wind like wings and um, child just looks at him and then he gets startled and goes pull out his gun and drops his gun. And then in the chaos of getting his gun back up, the dude disappears is gone. Right. Yeah. Or is the whole barge gone? It's all it wasn't yeah, all, there. Yeah. 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 So weird. Just weird stuff. Now we're in chapter two of this section. And we get brought back into the uh, inn slash pub. And I was looking in the comic. In the comic, it's called the Ugly Muse. The uh, Ugly Muse, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we return to the Ugly Muse, and the innkeeper is there putting a fire in the fireplace. And Ice Cross asks about the vision Childress saw if it was something that he envisioned or if that really happened. Dr. Rose asks why. And Ice Cross replies that he saw something similar just today on his walk into the city. And you can hear that part of the story in episode 51 back in December of 2022. Oh, hey, holy shit. Thanks. Oh, wow. Thanks, Wes. Great reference. And when Ice Cross brings that up, the group sort of falls silent. They talk about, too, he puts a fire in the fireplace and it doesn't really help make the space warmer. It feels colder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Like, if something creepy happened to you and then someone else is like, oh, and they describe it in like the in, in like exact detail. Yeah, that would be freaky. Freak everybody out. It's a good one. Yeah, and it's a different time in a different city too, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's a little bit weird. So what is that? Is it death claiming people? It's something – I guess – I don't know if it's their connection to Baltimore or if it's just everybody sees weird stuff like that or if it's just like because they're they're connected to Baltimore, they're also part of the story. So almost like the Red Death can foresee that they're going to be involved or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, or it's just a seed that Christopher Golden and Mike Mignola want to plant to let us know that the world is bigger than what we get to have. Right, right. Dr. Rose breaks the silence with, you made it home, obviously. Children's explains it cost him dearly, but he made it to England. Um, He had to give his like grandfather's pocket watch and stuff like that. Right. Children's parents had left... Trevilian Island relocating to the town that was like off the island. I forget the I forget what's, where is it? Oh yeah, Boss Castle Harbor. Yeah. And he was happy to find his parents still alive and well. And at that moment learned of what happened to Henry and his family, as well as the plague on the island. No one knew where Henry had gone, and Childress's parents did yearn to return back to the island. They did want to go back to the island. Childress told his parents that the world was going to get worse before it gets better and that going to the island would be a safer place for them to be. Childress persuaded a fisherman to take him to the island to make sure that it was a safe place to return to. This was the last place he saw Henry Baltimore and the last any of the three at the table had. So at this point, Childress is on the um, fisher boat. I wonder if this is the fisherman that that lady, you know, that Ice Cross returned the island and he got information from a lady who came to the island with, some guys that were fishermen. Oh, right. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 You guys can right stay. In. Just, you can fish and do all that stuff. I wonder if it's the same guys. She's got cats. <laughs> oh, and she had a bunch of cats. They made a point yeah. of mentioning that she had a bunch of cats. Yeah. She's yep. just living her best life with her cats. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. On the island, escaping the plague. They got apparently fish, or there's a lot of great fish there. Hopefully. Yeah. Childress is sharing stories with the fishermen on the boat. The fisherman is known as Williams. This is the captain. 
Because he's got a crew, right? He's got a couple people on there as well. Yeah. Williams wanted to believe the plague wasn't as bad as everyone is making it out to be. But Childress said the sickness is as bad as you heard and referred to it as the Red Death. Yeah. Williams notices smoke on the island and asks Childress what it is. Childress says it's the Baltimore estate is on fire. The estate was fully ablaze and Childress knew it was done intentionally. Like they go through a whole bunch of thought process, but he's like, right, yeah, no, this, right. is, this was done intentionally. As they pull up to the dock, Childress jumps off immediately and Williams exclaims to him, hey, don't remember, we're leaving in two hours. A storm is coming. We need to get out of here. And Childress says, it may be longer, but wait for me if you hope to get paid. Yeah, really. Childress headed to the estate that was on fire. And as he gets there, it's starting to com- collapse. The, the fire is really raging. He reminisces on the memories and times he had spent in the house with Henry, and he whispers goodbye as it all sort of crumbles down to Yeah, to that's nothing. really sad. I mean, he has a connection to that as yeah. well, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. So he's only there for like 20 minutes, and then it starts to snow. And he thought if someone had set the house on fire, then the culprit might still be on the island. At this point, the house is almost fully diminished, and Childress decides to head back to his parents' home to see the condition of his parents' home. But before doing that, he wants to go check in with Williams and the other fishermen to assure them that if they don't want to head back during the snowstorm since it just started, that they could sleep on the island and we could figure out in the morning. As Childress heads towards the dock, he can see a small sailboat out being sailed by one stark figure headed towards Trevelyan Island. Who was it, he thought? The arsonist? He realized whoever it was, they intended to beach the craft. What in God's name, Childress whispered? Childress rushes along the shore to intercept the small boat. I love this. It just comes crashing in. I want to talk about I want to talk about why this happens, but I don't know. I just imagine like uh because it almost like tips over and all this stuff and then it like just totally crashes onto the shore like just like yeah. a madman. Oh, yeah, and we have he does man. that in the comics, right? Does he do that in the comics? Oh man, I think does you're like- right. Does I think I vaguely to... remember him doing it somewhere. Okay, okay. Like just being like going to crash it because I'm also like, what? Why was he sailing the sailboat? Because I think we have the answer to that too. Oh, okay. See, that's what I was wondering. Is like, why would he come back? Why does he come back to the island? Yeah, he wasn't done on the island. I mean, he wanted to say bye to his wife. He tells. Yeah, he's gonna go say goodbye to his sweet Elowen, and then he's never gonna return oh, okay, to Trevelyan okay, yeah. Island ever again. Yeah. So when we get a sweet in the book, at least on page one fifty six, we get a sweet illustration of um, Baltimore. It is badass. so badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love um, the description of him. It says. Uh, <laughs> In one hand, he carried a harpoon taller than he was, and a rattle of metal and clank of wood accompanied his every step echoing off the snow. Because we, we've we joked so much in the comics that he's, yeah. like, carrying around tons of things, and he's just, like, and he would just sound like clanging metal as he's walking. But they actually put that in the book, which I think is yeah. pretty cool, like, because he would sound like that, and he's just got... All the weapons he's and everything. everything. Yeah, he's just got too much stuff. But he talks about his his like all of his clothes being all stuff from different various armies, all uniforms, right. a combination of uniforms yeah. from different various armies, a pair of rifles hung from his back, and other weapons were belted over his body. Dagger handles and pistol butts jutted from their holsters and scabbards as he walked <laughs> child just saw the shades, blah blah blah. I mean it's just crazy. yeah, I mean it's just yeah. Funny. A small axe, an army saber, pretty awesome. And then the leg. And this was no stump or peg. <laughs> but he says carved limbs of a puppet. Like Childress, as he started 
stared right. at the yeah. wooden leg so much like the clacking carved limbs of a puppet. Yeah, and I also like this. He talks about how it kind of drags a little bit like it would. You know what I mean? I haven't really thought of that, but it would drag a little bit, which is all those are just really good details. I like thinking about all that. Child just figures out who it is. So he calls out, Henry, it is you, isn't it? What are you doing? And he's hammering the nails in his leg, right? And he yeah. goes, one, <laughs> one nail for each of them, Baltimore said. Baltimore explains, they're at peace now, Thomas, he said. When I put the first nail in for Elowen, I was a fool not to realize what had happened. I had seen what the demon had done to her. How could I not have realized that the Red Death and the Red King were one and the same? I saw the plague begin, old friend. I helped bring it to the world. And now I do penance for my part in it. But before I surrender to my fate, I will find the monster that has caused me such agony and see it burn. And Childress is like, Henry, you 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 look all right. I mean, I don't know. You're rocking the you're rocking the yeah. the, the bald and and the beard look. Right. <laughs> yeah, so so good to see you, man. He just drops all this stuff on him like in one speech or whatever. Like I don't know. Yeah, they haven't seen or, each other since they were kids. Well, yeah, no, he but just... I, I I do joke about it. But he does have a good response. He all he can say is I don't understand. That's yeah, all I don't he, understand. Can, he yeah. can say back to him, which is, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's how you would feel if someone just said all that stuff to you. Yep. No small talk, straight to the big talk. <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore explains the plague breeds vampires. When he realized the plague victims were being burned for a reason, he knew he must return home. It was being told that the bodies were being burned to keep the sickness from spreading, but in reality, it was to keep the dead from rising. Baltimore did not burn his mother, father, or sister, Helen. He had to return to the island where he brought his family to the crypt and burned them there, rendering them to ashes, is what he explains. But the description of all that, like he catches his, I mean, we saw this in the comic, but he catches his yeah, sister first and chains that. her up and then collects his, his mom and dad. And then he sets them on fire in the uh, crypt. And then he brings the ashes to the to the docks and spreads them out in the uh, Trevelyan Island Ocean, whatever that that area. Right. Yeah. So, okay, who set the fire? Who set the house on fire? Was it Baltimore? It was Baltimore. Okay, yeah. So I he, think Baltimore. He set, 100% he, so he set the house on fire, and then he started sailing away. And then he's like, "Oh, wait a second! I, I left my, I left my mom and my I gotta dad go and say my bye. sister. They, they, I didn't burn them. They're still vampires." Uh, no, 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 no. He says uh, that he he burned them in the crypt. Then he gathered their ashes in a vase that his mom really liked. Then he went and set the house on fire, and he w- stayed to make sure it caught. And then he took the ashes out into the bay oh, and dumped them in the ocean. That's why he was out in the boat. Yeah. That's yeah. why he was out there. Okay, and then he and then he saw another another boat docking there and so he turned it around and fucking crashed into the beach to make this awesome entrance <laughs> yeah it just crashes into the beach it's cool though it's cool i like it i mean hey why <laughs> why fuck around right right i'm like thumbing through the comic to see the the volume to see if we saw that anywhere maybe we didn't maybe i just you know maybe it's yeah, just I'm, compiled I'm also... in my brain I'm also looking for it, but I want to say we did see something like that. Maybe our heads are just filling it in because it's like at this point, like I can picture some of these scenes in the Ben Stenbeck. Art, oh, definitely. Know, and stuff yeah. like that. So Childress would have thought him mad, except all the stuff that he had seen. So he knows that Baltimore is telling the truth. Right. After Baltimore set the estate on fire, like you said, Aubrey, he then took the ashes of the family out to bay and scattered the ashes. Childress says you could have never known. Baltimore tells his friend he must 
say his goodbyes and plans never to return to the island ever again. And he tells Childress to trust no one. The stain is not upon him yet. Find yourself a place. Wall yourself away. Stay safe. Stay well. Baltimore seems like a ghost to Childress. Baltimore was no vampire, but he wasn't unlike them, is what Childress says. Oh, okay. That's a good detail. Yeah. Childress returns to the fishermen and offers them three times what they originally agreed to if they would set sail in the storm and head back. They agree, and they head back, and Childress doesn't take one look back towards Trevelyan Island as they head back towards Lost Castle. He's like, well, that was weird, but I need to go back to my family now. You know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> he didn't even go to his house or anything, because remember he's saying he was going to head back to see if the guys yep. would just want to stay at the house oh, with right. him and all that. He didn't and, even do that. Yeah, no, and then he, that's when he ran into Baltimore, and he's like, I'm getting the fuck out of yeah. here. <laughs> Yeah, Childress says that's like the island is a is like a place between life and death. It's really not a good place to be. Right, right. Yeah. But I don't know. Baltimore burned all the evil out of there. It's probably fine. <laughs> I'd go there. That fisherman lady. That lady with her cats and her two yeah. sons is probably hey, having a grand old time. She's got all of it to herself. Right. Mm-hmm. Get more cats. All right, then we go into the third section. The war never ended for Baltimore, Rose goes on to say. Only the enemy has changed for him. Childress regrets not staying with Baltimore and being by his side. And Icecross says, he asked us all here. Perhaps you'll have another chance to stand with him. Right, yeah. He replies, I've hoped for that every day since the day I watched him vanish into the snowstorm. Dr. Rose uh, comments how dark it is outside, and Ice Cross assures him that Baltimore will be here. Yeah, I know. They're all bros. They're all becoming bros. Yeah, they're brubs. <laughs> brubs? <laughs> brubs, I guess. Uh, brubs. Uh, Haydenor said, because they're British, it would be brubs, B-R-U-V. Oh, bruv. yeah, yeah. Bruv. Hey, bruv. <laughs> I know he will. Dr. Rose is admitted. And I confess, I fear his coming. And it seems like they all fear. They're scared of what's to come. But they're also it's like all this ready impending, for it. They're, they're there telling all these stories, but they know that there's an impending story that they're about to all become a part of that's just yeah. as weird as what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, there's this sense that eventually something is going to happen. You know what I mean? They, they know it is. Ice Cross calls out Childress for another story. He's like, yo, explaining that he and Dr. Rose both told stories on why they believed Baltimore's story. And now it's your turn to tell that story. Childress tells Icecross he's right and starts his story, explaining he spent a good amount of time on the sea, just like Icecross, and he worked for his father, who was an importer. There was one journey he took to Chile in South America, and it was the last journey he had ever taken for his father. He talks about how his father's business wasn't lawful at the time. They traded in goods and materials, but also in ink and artifacts, which was legal at one point when they first started doing it. But then through acts of preservation and people in Chile, I guess, wanted to keep that stuff there. They started putting a stop to it. Yeah. He couldn't be Indiana Jones anymore. Couldn't be Indiana Jones anymore. I don't know. Indiana Jones probably probably did stuff legally, too. (laughs) Well, like he says, like, if those in possession of such artifacts and they wish to sell them and we were willing to buy, it seemed to me that they shouldn't um, not intrude upon honest business and i was just like that's some bullshit fucking you know wrangling around that kind of stuff you know you're fucking stealing cultural artifacts from the country yeah indiana jones (laughs) indy dr jones (laughs) love those movies except the fourth one it doesn't exist (laughs) childress it's his 21st birthday on this journey they make port in Valparaiso. This is a port city in Chile's coast. It's known for its colorful clifftop homes. Immigration had transformed the port. It actually sort of talked a little bit about this, how it was a place where a lot of 
like cultures had come and that changed a lot of it. Childress explains that it was filled with people from all over. It was a busy dock of industry and optimism. Jeffrey Hoskins was leader of the exhibition that they were about to go on and had little respect for Childress. The two of them spent the next few days gathering some supplies and trinkets and other things that they were exporting back for the company. And on the second night, met a man named Matteo, who was the primary source of their Incan artifacts. So they meet with Matteo that night. And then the next morning, Matteo doesn't show up. He's a no-show. So Hoskins decides to go to the market to look for him and take some guys with him. How many guys did it take? They take he takes five guys, so there's six of them or whatever, something like that. Right, yeah. Childress stays back and writes a long letter with updates to his father. In the afternoon, Hoskins returns with Matteo in tow, so like tied up, right, like pulling him along. Right. With Everyone from the party except for one lad who was about uh, Childress's age, a young guy, who Childress was told got stabbed. Hoskins returned with bruised knuckles and right, like he had yeah. beaten Mateo's face, whose Mateo's face is all bloodied up and he's got a black eye and swollen everything. Childress doesn't like this. Childress had words with Hoskins, but Hoskins defended himself and his need to get physical with the situation. Hoskins explains to Childress the way things went was the way of things, the getting physical and the and the death of one of the guys. Right, yeah. And he's like, the way of things, yeah. That's how what, it is. So, so what things. happened? What happened to the guy that died? I don't know. He got stabbed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't we, think we, we ever find out. Oh, they say that... Um, sorry, I think they say it later. They say that like one of Mateo's friends stabbed him when they were tr- when they were beating him up or trying to grab him or whatever. Anyway, I don't oh, know okay. if sure or not. That's what they say later. Hoskins go on to say that he beat information out of Mateo. Do you know where the artifacts are located? Childress asked. As he asked that question, members of the party come back with packs on their back. What is this? Childress asks. Mateo is going to take us back to the place where he and his men have been digging up artifacts. Childress asks if Mateo had been cooperating, why this information needed to be beaten out of him. He's frightened, Hoskins says, and explains that Mateo has a nine-year-old daughter who has gone missing. She was with him the last time they were digging. Like He's like, he's an idiot. He brought his daughter on a dig. But they're doing the dig, and the villagers claim that a demon snatched her. But this is from the words of Childress. Mateo fears that they killed the girls themselves. I was trying to suss that one out. Like, Mateo fears that his actions killed the girl, right? Yes. Hoskins tells Childress that he will stay back. He's not going to come with them. It's not the kind of work his father would approve of him doing. Childress says he would be accompanying them. And all right, Tom, Hoskins says. The group travels northeast. Mateo never made an attempt to flee or anything like that on their way there. The crew that they were with saw Mateo as a coward, but Childress does not. Childress questions why Mateo could have left the village after what happened with his daughter. Childress asks Mateo why he is okay with returning. And Mateo explains that what has changed is Mateo is angry. The villagers are afraid of El Cuero. And though Mateo does not want to die, he also does not want to live with El Cuero out there in the lake. Childress says, so you believe there really is a demon? I have seen it, my young friend, and so will you. The certainty in his voice shook me. I stared at him. What do you mean? This creature, El Cuero, you called it? What is that? He gave a dismissive snort and turned away. You would not believe me now, but perhaps when you see it with your own eyes. After that, he would say nothing more. There's some great illustrations, too, of like the artifacts and stuff like that. Mignola does like yeah, a really cool job with oh, yeah. those in the chapter three. Artwork. Yeah, all the ink and like close-ups of the artifacts. Really cool. Yeah, I really yeah. like it. Opening up chapter four, you know, the next morning they all ride into the village. 
And when they get there, it's not what Childress expected. It's actually like a little town. It's got a central square and a little white church. And all the bells are ringing as they come in there. When the villagers see Mateo, um, some of them turn away and cross themselves. Yeah, and they're like sad for him. They're not like, you know. Right. Yeah, they're not like angry that he deserted them. So as they go through this like little village, they see the lake. Childress mentions that the water seemed a dark, richer blue than the sky, and it covers miles. So it's really huge. Um, Several older men come down the street with a dog, and Childress thinks that they'll be pissed to see Mateo, but they actually, that's, yeah, it mentions that they have a lot of sympathy for him. Hoskins doesn't really notice any of that. Yeah, he just wants to do his job. He's ready to just start digging again. So Hoskins is like, Hey, Mateo, uh, ask the villagers how much they want so they can start digging again. And Mateo says that they don't need anything. Yeah, they're like a self-sustaining little village. Right, yeah. They've got like uh, all their own agriculture and food and everything. that They don't need anything. Yeah, they raise cattle and sheep. They fish in the lake. They grow their own crops. Your money is worthless to them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he tells Hoskins that uh, if you do what they want, they'll let you take whatever you want from the Incan ruins. So Hoskins asks him, what do they want? And then Mateo gets like a little craze and he says that they want El Cuero dead. So Mateo, he goes to go talk to the villagers and Hoskins asks Childress, what is this all about? They even explain that like Hoskins can speak to the villagers but he decides not to because he thinks, or at least this is what Childress suspects, the reason why he's having Mateo speak to them. So if they act like they don't know what they're talking about, if there's any other information that might come out, they'll, he'll know. Right. Because he'll, yeah. he'll know, yeah. So he can totally understand everything they're saying. So yeah, Hoskins asks Childress, what is this all about? And Childress says, El Cuero is the demon that took his daughter. And Hoskins doesn't believe it, so he goes over to hear what they're saying for himself. We've already established that he knows Spanish, so he walks over and he listens. And so he comes back laughing to Childress. He says Mateo is lying to them. He made a deal with the villagers to get rid of the thing in the lake. And he had his whole family up there, and like they were going to do it, but then his daughter went missing, and when his daughter went missing, he took off. As Hoskins is telling Childress all this, like everyone gets all quiet. It's all awkward, right? Mateo sneers at Hoskins and then he turns from Hoskins to talk to Childress. He tells them that there's a ton of valuable artifacts in the Incan ruins, but since he left, the monster has taken another little boy by dragging mm-hmm. its dog under. The boy went after yeah. his dog. Um, yeah, the dog says, got taken and then the boy went in there to get his dog and then the boy was taken. It says, You know how boys are with dogs, yes? That's really sad. I thought that that was really sad because, like, yeah, you know, super sad. little boys, like, they, they do really, you know, or, I mean, little kids in general, you know. Uh, I would go after my dog. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody would. Um, but that's like, yeah, I don't know. It just made me think of, for some reason, it made me think of the Artex scene and never ending story or whatever. <laughs> oh, traumatizing yeah. like that. Yeah. So after learning that it's taken another little boy and all this stuff, Mateo is determined that now he finally has to do it. He has to fulfill his promise and kill this creature or whatever. And so there's this, I thought this was interesting. There's this point where Hoskins actually seems to kind of come around to it. Mateo says, believe it or not, as you wish, it is there and my daughter with it down at the bottom of the lake. And so Hoskins looks at him and he looks at all the sad villagers and he like actually says, I'm really sorry about that, you know. Uh, we have our job that we're trying to do, but it seems like he starts, he starts to turn a little bit right here. Uh, Childress says, I would like to think that what I did next, I would have done regardless of any benefit to myself or my father's company. 
still holding the reins of my horse, I went to Mateo and stared at the three men. So he asked them to tell him about El Cuero. Uh, that's what that translates to is tell me about El Cuero. El Cuero yeah. means the leather. And I think we'll, uh, that'll make a little bit more sense as we hear this story. I thought this was interesting because he's like, I, I like to think that I would have done this no matter what, but he actually entertains the idea. He's like, tell me about this demon. He's like, I want to know more information, you know, rather than just going, that's a bunch of baloney. You know what I mean? He like, actually, he goes, okay, well, tell me about it. So they tell him a long time ago, there was a villager and he was possessed by a demon and he became a cannibal. He would drown little kids and suck their blood and eat their flesh. And then he would put the bodies in the lake. He was eventually caught. And when the villagers caught him, they stoned him to death. And then they drowned him by weighing him down. And they put him in that lake, just like he did to all those kids or whatever. So then after that, one day, a leather maker went to the lake to cure a hide of a donkey. And it was lost in the water. And then after that, the killing started again, all in close proximity of the lake. Kids and animals nearby the water would go missing. Many people saw the demon in the lake, flat and leathery. It floated on the water, edges rimmed with a hundred eyes and as many claws. It would drift on the surface towards those who did not suspect its true nature, luring them in with curiosity. Others simply did not see it until its claws snagged them. El Cuero wrapped around them and dragged them to the bottom of the lake. When he's done telling the story, Hoskins is irritated by all this. And he's like, you can't possibly believe any of this shite, he tells Childress. <laughs> but Childress steps up and he's like, you're not going to talk to me like that. And he's like, all right, guys, go get some equipment so we can get all those artifacts from the mountain. And then he turns to Mateo and his men. And there's another moment in here that I really liked because he's about to talk to them. And he says, uh, the wind brought the delicious aroma of something cooking nearby. I thought it. I thought that was an interesting line to put in there. Like he yeah, smells it's like something another good fairy food. tale with food. Yeah, yeah. It's but, almost like that um, food theme comes back again. Yeah, but I, but I thought like I, I thought this moment was like he realizes that they're just people. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, these are people like any other. Because he also mentions this was his last trip doing this. So like, I feel like you know he's an English dandy boy. I'm Indiana Jones, and I'm working for my father. And then he and then he has this experience, and he goes, man these are like real people and we're like just taking all their stuff and you know, or yeah. he, he, it appeals to him on, on some sort of human level. And I, I was wondering if it's that, that line of him smelling food that kind of like triggers some of this. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So then he goes to the guys and he's like, all right, I need a sheep. I need some rope and I need some tough, brave dudes. Go get them boys. <laughs> <laughs> So Childress men go off and Childress stays with Hoskins and another hairy Shrek looking guy named Nick Forrester. That's what he says, right? He's like, he looks like it was a unfortunate coupling between wolf and ogre. I was like, that's pretty harsh. Uh, but I like this guy. He's barely in it, but I do like him. He's just like a big hulking dude. So Hoskins is pissed and he wants to know what Childress is doing. Childress is like, look, even if you don't believe that there's this monster or whatever, there's still something in the lake that's taking people or whatever. There's still something going on. Yeah. And Forrester agrees. And Hoskins is pissed by that too. But nobody seems to care anymore. Forrester doesn't care. Childress doesn't care. So they tie their horses far from the water. And soon enough, Mateo comes back with a bunch of villagers 
And there's a dog there, too. They keep mentioning that there's a dog uh, hanging around. Yeah, whining too. at his feet and stuff. It stays away from the water, too. <laughs> yes, it stays away from the water. Yeah. It's a smart dog. And there's a boy carrying the lamb. And there's always, like, there always has to be something sad. You know, they mention, like, the boy seems sad about the lamb. Like, it makes me think, like, maybe it's his lamb or... That's what I was thinking, you know, too. It, yeah. it, Christopher Golden has a way of, like, adding these extra little things that give these characters that are just barely in the book, like, their own little backstory or whatever. You know, you really feel like the village is giving up all their resources to try and do this. You know what I mean? And maybe that's the only little lamb that they have. You know what I mean? That they can spare to do this. And uh, he also mentions being kind of irritated because there's a bunch of villagers that have just come to watch. Like, they're just spectators or whatever to see what's going to happen. You know what yeah. I mean? They're not really there to help. So they get the lamb and they start tying it up. They tie it by its legs and then around its torso and its neck. So that's six ropes and there's three guys on each rope. So that's like 18 dudes. Right. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone steps back farther than the horses are even tied. And then they're just there waiting, you know, to see what's going to happen. And so in the description of all this, while all this is going on, while they're tying it up and all this scary stuff, the lamb is just bleeding over and over and over. And yeah. I think it just really adds like this, like tense, like really creepy element to the scene. Childress like comments on it at some point, doesn't he? He's like, uh, like the idea of the goat being torn apart. Just. Oh, right. Now he, he mentions that later. Yeah. Uh, we'll right, get to I'll that part. Childress notices a calm part of the water and it starts moving closer to the lamb, like he's noticing this one area. As it floated nearer, slowly stalking the lamb, I saw the dull eyes that gazed out from thick folds of dark brown rawhide and the long spiny claws that protruded from its edges. I knew then that there was nothing natural about the thing. A foul stench floated from it, and even its smell was nothing I had never encountered before. It was sulfur and rot and blood, the thing stank of evil." Every man and woman on the shore of the stake stood unmoving, holding their breath as El Cuero glided across the water, billowing on the surface. The lamb tried to walk towards Mateo. One of the village men hauled on the rope holding a foreleg, and the lamb fell, bleeding more loudly. Holy Christ, Hoskins whispered behind me. The demon flowed up from the water like a wave and fell upon the lamb. The silver prongs of its claws sank into the animal's flesh and the lamb began to scream as the demon wrapped around it, dragging it into the water with such speed that at last I understood how so many had been taken. Really cool description of that. Yeah. yeah I like this. And, uh, yeah, and I think just... the illustrations on this page are yeah. of the monster, right? Of the demon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they talk about it having like a bunch of eyes and... I think yeah. that's what you're seeing there is all the different eyes places. and like the, yeah. the claws or and whatever. Everything. Yeah. So as now it's taking the lamb. So they yell for everyone to start pulling and it starts reaching the shore and they're pulling it pretty good. And then it starts to pull back, although they can't yeah. tell like how it's doing. It doesn't have fins or anything. And like it's bringing dudes to their knees and one dude falls in the water and he gets taken by the monster and it starts yep. making its way back into the water, like undoing all their progress. And people start letting go. They start freaking out. But Mateo stays on the line. And so now he's getting drug out down into the water, too. And so uh, here's a cool moment. Hoskins, who has been, like, poo-pooing this idea the entire time, he runs up to all the villagers. And he's, like, in Spanish, like, hey, look, this is your only chance to get this thing. You know, we got to rally. We, we got to do this, guys. You know what I mean? So, like, then everybody, all the villagers come and they start helping pull the thing out of the water. Hoskins actually runs over to try to get Mateo, but he barely reaches him in time before he's taken in by the monster. So he like barely grabs his hand and then the dude is taken too. So now they have everyone pulling and they get the monster out of the lake. 
it's still pulsating with one of the guys in there as they pull it out. Like they're still like, you know what I mean? That's yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking creepy. That's nuts. So when they pull it out, Hoskins is like, look at this weird thing. And they go mm-hmm. over and they see that there's like this red and black cord, like an umbilical cord or something gross. Like it's connecting the monster to something else. And Hoskins is about to just cut cut it at the cord, but then he notices it pulse and pull. Pull, I screamed, revulsion and hatred burning in me now. My stomach roared with the urge to vomit, but I quelled the feeling by sheer will. (laughs) (laughs) I love that part. He's like, I was about to throw up, but sheer willpower, through sheer willpower, I saved myself from vomiting. Uh, Anyway, that made me laugh. I like that. (laughs) So they pull it, and as the cord starts to come up, in the cord is wrapped all the victims and it's like in the order that they were killed so first it's like the little boy then the dog then the little girl and then going on and on and like as it goes on like there's just like tons of bodies wrapped up in this thing down to like where there just remains you know what i mean because it's been doing this for like ever you know so that's disgusting that is like so gross they they describe all this they they, they describe the smell and everything yeah yeah, and the, and the bodies are bloated. It's a horrible thing to, to think about, to right. be with you. So as they keep pulling, something splashed in the water, and I shouted, shaken from the hypnotic effect of that abominable trail of corpses. In the shallows, something twisted and flopped and struggled, fighting against the inexorable pull on that cord. Its skin was bleached white and tinted blue, and it quivered like jelly. Its eyes stared, pale and blind, from so long at the bottom of the lake. The twinned mass of tendrils disappeared into its open jaws, and I knew, looking at it, that it was the source. That was the true demon, lurking at the bottom of the lake. El Cuero had only been the lore, the net. And yeah, we get, we get a the, truly uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that disgusting uh, depiction by Mignola. It yeah, it's like so coming out of the good. guy's mouth. So this is a vampire, right? This is some version of a vampire? Because they, they talked about a cannibal that would drown people and then suck their blood and and then they buried it in the bottom of the lake and so it's been down there this entire time and it somehow like grew these tendrils out there yeah and then when they and then when they, they lost that donkey hide it like us it like assimilated that donkey hide into the tendrils or yeah i don't know it's so gross <laughs> yeah it's super gross i was gonna say it was well, like the a demon went inside this guy and then the guy started murdering if like the demon was living in him maybe the demon came out oh and, that, and it's like connected to this cord so it's still right. is tethered, like it's still connected because to it's, that it's coming from murderer. inside his mouth. So maybe the demon is, is inside that thing. Yeah. Like it was a saying? tapeworm or something like that. Yeah. Like a tapeworm demon. Ugh, even more disgusting. You know, what I didn't do is I didn't look Ugh. up El Cuero too, to see if that's a, you know, real demon. Well, okay. I, I guess I wanted to mention this. Um, when we read the forward, it said, I want to thank Guillermo del Toro. He knows why. I think this is. I think this oh, is. Um, okay. I want to. It, it reminds me of El Coro is a cryptid. It's a South American. I wonder if maybe um, he turned them on to him, or he said, "Hey, have you ever heard of this thing?" So, what is the what What is the actual factual stuff around it? Yeah, on fandom. Yeah, I mean, not not or, factual. On the cryptid but you know wiki. <laughs> yeah, this is the cryptid cryptid wiki, which I love cryptids. El Cuero is a, an extremely dangerous South American lake monster having a hairless head and spine and a body that has the appearance of a cowhide 
which has been splayed out to dry. That connects a lot of the things. Right. El cuero, okay. meaning the hide or leather. That's what that means. Yeah. It resembles primitive stingray. So it's like a stingray. It has oh. wide pectoral fins and a long whip-like tail absent of a barb. Its eyes are like stalks and its mouth is apparently extendable like that of a sturgeon. Eyewitnesses have also reported seeing a series of razor sharp claws along fringes of El Cero. So a lot of these illustrations in this yeah. sort of kind of have that. That's pretty cool. Thanks for looking that up, man. And so um, Childress notices that the creature had once been a man. Childress thinks of the story Mateo told him about a man possessed by a demon. And everyone freaks out and they're all disgusted when it comes out of the water. And the disgust is too great for Childress's willpower, and he vomits. <laughs> he finally does. Finally, he finally he was, does it. Yeah. He goes to behead the thing, but it burns up in the sunlight just as he's about to do it. And it does like a, it almost creates like a fuse where yeah. it like goes down the line and everything in the tendrils burns too. I thought that was a really cool effect also. That'd be yeah. really cool to see in like a movie or something like yeah. that. I don't know about the tendrils of bloated, eyeless, dead remains, but it would... Yeah. It has to be a horror movie. We're not talking like a comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a horror movie. <laughs> but it could just be a nice old Mignol illustration. Yes, it could. Put in comic. So after it all burns up, nothing is left except an ordinary brown animal hide wrapped like a blanket around a dead lamb and two men. I thought that that was weird because it's kind of yeah, like that weird. puppet thing. It, it's kind of like yeah. that puppet thing where, like... It was a glamour, or you weren't really seen. Like, what? Like, why would just the hide be left? I guess it was just wearing the hide. Maybe. Maybe it was just like using it as a hat. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, that just seems weird. And they they mentioned that Mateo's face was peaceful. Whatever evil had infested El Cuero, it had departed. So the villagers took all the remains that's left over, and they burn all that, too. Good idea. Good. Good idea. <laughs> it could have it just been to... Mignola's spin on what on that legend and the name. Just yeah, using the name exactly. Just doing his yeah. own weird spin on it. I mean, I'm just hypothesizing, but that's what yeah. I assume that note means in the acknowledgments or whatever. Yeah, I think you're right. Childress finishes. You wish to know, gentlemen, how it was that I did not hesitate to believe the things that Baltimore told me. I trust no further explanation is required. And then he drops the microphone right there. <laughs> <laughs> Flips the table and throws the food at the waitress. His soup is flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, man, that was cool. I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, I want to see the monster. Yeah, I want to. I want to see what these uh, cryptid version looks like because uh, let me see. We got the yeah, demon bear. We got a big demon bear. We got a big old puppet with its face ripped off. Um, but we didn't get like a big splash page of this. We oh, we got the vampire that was at the bottom of it or whatever. Yeah, we got the the creature at the bottom with the the tentacles running out of its yeah. mouth and all that. I mean, it looked cool and all that, but I kind of wanted to see. I guess Mignola just didn't really want to draw a bunch of dead bodies on a on, 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 on a, a string. string. <laughs> no, but at least just the top part of it or whatever. Like, yeah. um, I like that description. Like it came down like a wave. Like that makes me think like it's almost like. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it's really cool the way Ooh. they describe it. Okay, did you see Creep Show Two? Creep Show Two, Pro- uh, I don't remember. Okay, there's this one. There's this one part in, in one of the stories. It's like this lake monster, and at one part it comes up like a wave. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Uh, I only saw that movie the one time, and I was just like, 
was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. The part that was stupid was like, it's in the middle of the lake and like they're stuck there, but this creature's eating all their friends. And then she's laying on the dock and he takes her shirt off and starts playing with her. I was like, are you fucking kidding oh, me? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I was 14. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously. And then oh. she lifts her face up and it's eaten by the monster. Oh, okay. Okay. No, but I was going to say, um, I, I, I do like Childress. I, I like his character. There was something that I was thinking about. The He takes that truck, and then those other guys come, and they go, like, we're taking this truck from you. And he's like, good luck. You know what I mean? Like, he's like he, he does stuff like that. I, I want to say that yeah. there was another instance where he was just like, all right, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, even I, at the bar, like, his interactions with the guys, like, he was trying to talk up Dr. Rose, and Dr. Rose wasn't responsive, and he sort of just moved on. Right. So it was right. Like, he's pretty yeah. good at like he's trying to like build people up and then is if it doesn't if it goes south he sort of abandons and keeps moving. Yeah, yeah. But um I I just thought it was uh each character has their own little like flavor to it, even though they're all like yeah 18th century dudes or whatever but uh yeah Childress is awesome. I like him. Yeah, they're very different characters. They're three very different characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're ha- we're past halfway in the book though. Woohoo! Oh, awesome. Yeah, I guess we are. That's cool. Yeah, great job on the notes this week, Wes. I thought that was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It was it was a wild one. It was a weird one. Yeah, I'm trying to think like what is they seem like they're getting weirder as they go along. They I don't really know. Are. The the puppet thing was pretty weird though. Like that's one that, you know, Lake Monster, I I've heard of Lake Monsters before, but that puppet one was wild to think about <laughs> to try to conceptualize this i could conceptualize it you know what i mean they did a good job of like making it realistic or whatever but i like this idea that uh you just keep dragging up stuff you think it's one thing and as you pull it up it's just more and more gross stuff and let's see how much gross stuff we can pull out until we make children's throw up his lunch right <laughs> <laughs> all right well very good um I, i'm excited to hear what you guys thought and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. I actually really enjoyed this one. It was pretty fun. Uh, and I want to hear what you thought. Send us a hey, you damn guys at Book Club Member Comics at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Book Club Member Comics and on Twitter at Book Club Members. And as always, you can always find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gatahan for the listener feedback theme. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Wes, for joining us on uh, taking us on this Baltimore journey. Yes, thank you, Wes. And thank you to Only Beast for the uh, themes and Ross and Matt for the art. Yes, you're uh, welcome and thank you. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and when you're there, open it up and give us that five-star review. Every little bit helps. And if you're enjoying the show, tell a friend. Have them join the book club. Everybody should join more the merrier. Yes, do it. Next week. We are going to be reading Silver Surfer 2016 issues four through six. So you guys know what to do. Pull out them digitals to trade the Marvel Unlimited app. The the Omnibus is just now being re-released. So buy that and join us next week on Book Club Member Comics. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What's happening? I'm I'm about to wrap up the show. What are you saying? I guess. Oh, okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a skeletal figure on top of a pile of corpses. Yes. I'm crashing a sailboat into the beach. (laughs) And I'm Aubrey Lowe saying, what are we celebrating? The end of the world. The end of the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)